1: That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com.
2: Welcome to Jupiter's Almanac. I'm Matthew Rayford, the great-great-great-grandson of Jupiter Gillyard, a former slave who bought the land I now farm in Georgia nearly 150 years ago. Through the years, my ancestors have passed on some essential and hard-earned wisdom about growing and producing the food we eat. It's my great honor to share that inheritance and to invite other farmers from Georgia and around the country to share their tips with you.
1: It's an opportunity for us to slow down and to connect and to plug in. And the farm does that in a way that lets you connect and appreciate the life that exists and nurture and cultivate that and then extend that to the relationships to the people who are in that house with you and your community.
2: So if you were just starting out, reconnecting with the land or a seasoned farmer, join the conversation. And to be honest with you, it was like, would Warren come out and say, hey, I want to be a farmer? Probably not. I, I consider myself a city kid, you know, When we initially got a horse, you know, I have that New York City mindset, a horse, I'm thinking thoroughbred horse, aqueduct racetrack, (laughs) Belmont racetrack, those type of things, you know, and and slowly but surely, I'm starting to understand a lot more. I do remember early on, like, you know, the first month or two of dating, how we would daydream about starting a farm together, and it's kind of like, hold on, let's like pump the brakes and get to know each other first, and then talk about that. You know?
1: (laughs) So, what got me into chickens? Um, I always joke and say that a chicken saved my life, um, and it very much so did.
2: I'm interested in black liberation that's ecological and that's not contingent upon. these systems giving us anything. There's also something that's beyond this that I want and that I seek for our for our people and that's intimacy with the land and that's reliability.
1: And so for us, it's also this idea of connecting people back to the land and connecting our um, folks back to their ancestry. So what does it mean to organically, sustainably farm in our current economy and time?
2: Please subscribe to Jupiter's Almanac wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Cheese. 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 Cheese.
4: Cheese. 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 Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. My name is Carlos Descas, and I'm your guest host today. For this season of Cutting the Car, I will be exploring issues around raw milk cheese. Today, we will hear an update from Europe, Latin America, and Australia. My guests will share with us some of the issues in their countries facing raw milk cheese producers and consumers. For this episode, you will hear pre-recorded conversations. To ensure all ideas are fully understood by all our listeners, we will have a transcript of the show. First up, we have Nayara Vasquez and Luisa Villegas from the Instituto del Queso in the Basque Country in northern Spain. The Cheese Institute was started three years ago to provide services to small cheesemakers in Spain. The Institute has created a network of like-minded organizations to support research and promotion of artisan cheesemakers. Luisa Villegas is the current CEO, and Nayara is the head of the scientific area. This year, the Institute was scheduled to host the World Cheese Awards in November, but had to postpone the competition until next year. Nayara talked to us about an upcoming project to support raw milk cheese producers. Let's listen. Bienvenidas, Nayara. Y Luis Alcho, gracias por acompañarme.
5: Gracias, Carlos.
4: Nayara, please tell us about the work you're doing with the Instituto del Queso to promote raw milk cheese production.
5: Okay. So we, um, the Instituto del Queso, uh, we work mainly in two different areas. So on one hand, we have these scientific projects uh, that we focus on obtaining a high-quality raw milk which is a raw milk uh, free of antibiotics and pathogens such as listeria. For this, uh, we have these collaborations with different organisations and institutions, research institutions, in projects uh, focused on uh, proper livestock feeding based on natural grazing, and also those focused on animal welfare. For us, uh, this is a high importance uh, uh, for the quality of the raw milk. Uh, we work in order to obtain uh, living milk, which is a milk full of these interesting microorganisms in order or that will be naturally expressed during the technological process of the cheese making. So we believe that uh, milk without uh, lactic bacteria in the origin is not a proper milk to elaborate uh, high quality cheese. For this, we think that every effort made directly in the farm with the livestock is good to produce a high-quality raw material, like the raw milk. On the other hand, in the Cheese Institute, we also work in several activities related more with the promotion and information uh, activities about the goodness of raw milk cheese in order to be included in the daily diet of the final consumer because um, dairy products are basic in the diet, but we would like to uh, make a raw milk cheese part of these um, dairy products. Besides, we also give specialized advice to producers in order to help them during their promotion activities with professionals. Actually as you said uh, we are organizing this international cheese festival that will take place in Oviedo next year finally and that is a very interesting platform uh, for producers in order to gain access to these international professionals who will attend the festival to establish business relationships. So we carry all of these promotion and information activities, by organizing small events and championships, but also by writing articles in our scientific blog in our web page, and sharing interesting articles and information in our social media, mainly really, this is uh, our work focus on the promotion of roaches productions.
4: Thank you, Naya. That's so interesting. We are so happy to hear about all of those updates and all the wonderful work we're. You are doing we really hope to be there next year for the World cheese Awards Now Absolutely. I heard yes now I heard <laughs> that you have big plans for this year uh, to celebrate raw milk cheese appreciation day. Can you tell us more about what is happening with this creation of the denomination of origin that you are proposing?
5: Uh, yes uh, actually we are we will make the public the technical document next month on occasion of the raw milk day. But it's almost a year that we are working on this new new, uh, protected designation of origin for raw milk cheeses from Asturias, writing an appropriate technical document which is necessary for the European legislation in order to protect all these cheese productions that elaborate cheese under the quality schemes of the European Union. Operating these quality schemes can uh, benefit uh, the rural economy of uh, Europe. And this is important in the less favored areas and in mountain areas, where the sector, the farming sector, is uh, the basic of the economy of these areas. So, uh, our PTO will present a complex peculiarity because it includes different types of uh, cheeses, cheeses elaborated under different technical processes. And normally, uh, the quality schemes contain just a single type of cheese elaborated under one technological process. And in our quality scheme, in our new PTO, uh, we will have different cheeses from a single uh, cheese factory that can be included. This has also been a yeah, really exciting project because uh, raw milk is, for us, a high value to be protected against the standardized productions that are really famous today. So, in order, uh, in our technical document for the PDO, we have included this uh, the importance of the livestock feeding quality, which is something that already in Europe is becoming more important as being, and is being demanded. Uh, by legislation to the already existing PDOs and PGIs. So, with this PDO, we give more importance to the milk instead of the, to the livestock, which is the general characteristic of the different existing PDOs, which work with a specific protected type of cattle, but we will give more importance to the milk produced by any cattle settled in Asturias. But giving more importance to the milk, we pretend to promote the use of a living, uh, high-quality raw milk rich in lactic bacteria that will lead to a great final cheese. For example, no, in this uh, in Asturias there is this Geotrichum uh, bacteria in the green grass of the shady areas, and this bacteria gives such a wonderful final cheese that we will try to push the use of uh, this livestock uh, grazing. And now <laughs> this is all I can tell you about uh, our new video.
4: That's wonderful news. We are so excited to hear about it. Uh, this uh, idea and I think it's, uh, it's great to be protecting milk as uh, people have been protective uh, animals and also areas. We're very excited and we hope that uh, the European Union will accept the PDO uh, in due time. Thank you so mm-hmm. much Nayara. Gracias por la información.
5: Muchas gracias a ti. Bye.
4: Bye. Those were some exciting news from friends. We wish them the best of luck. Now, this let's hear from Falco Vofandini. He is the owner of the cheese shop in Sao Paulo, Brazil, called Galeria do Queijo, and founder of the organization Comer Queijo. His organization supports small artisanal cheese producers in Brazil, and last year, they lobbied the federal government to make changes to the local news to allow for the production of raw milk cheeses. Here is his update. Benvito, Falco. Estamos felices por você, se junta a nós. Falco, can you tell us a little bit
3: about you and your love for Romeo cheese? Of course, Carlos. It's nice to be with you. Uh, I started working with cheeses 25 years ago with my wife and partner Marcia. At first, we worked exclusively with industrial cheeses, but with the resurgence of demand for artisanal cheeses we started to study about them and soon fall in love with them. The first artisanal cheese that we introduced in Galeria do Queijo, our shop, was one made with raw milk, called Capim Canastra, produced by Guilherme Ferreira in the Serra da Canastra region in the state of Minas Gerais. And that was quite a discovery. Its taste was uh, much more complex and totally different from the other cheeses we had been selling so far in the store uh, gradually our customers got to know that cheeses and noticed the difference in quality i remember that my youngest son shortly after we started introducing products from small producer once called me to on the phone and said dad when you come home would you bring some artisan cheese for me i i got emotional i felt we were on the right track because he didn't ask me to take home any cheese but he was very specific about bring artisanal cheese. At the time I thought this is also certainly happening in other houses with other families. It's a privilege to be able to offer others exactly what you want for yourself and for your family. But besides all considerations on flavor, aroma, and all other sensorial characteristics, we foresee gains in the valorization and support of small cheese producers, who are responsible for practically 100% of the raw milk cheese production in the country. It's joyful to see the sons and daughters of small farmers come back home from big cities to take over their parents' properties and give continuity to their production. But the big long-term objective is the, that me, my children, and my children's children are able to purchase and enjoy the cheeses made by Guillermo's children and Guilherme's children's children.
4: That is wonderful. Listeners, I have been in Falcon and Marcia's store. It is a beautiful space with many artisanal cheeses. Before the pandemic, they had a space to hold classes just above the shop. You should go. Falco, do you mind giving us an update on your advocacy with the government of Brazil? Uh,
3: Yes, of course. Let, Let me start by saying that today we have raw milk cheeses being produced in almost every region of the country. That has been the case for centuries. However, Brazilian legislations to regulate their production is very, very old. Until very recently, the prevailing law was from the 1950s. You know how many changes have occurred since then? Back then the cold chain was very precarious, transportations and roads were also not always reliable. Even so, farm people ripened cheeses to produce preserved food and sold it in the nearby cities. Over time, this practice has stopped being an advantage for small producers, especially because of the growth of industrial cheese production. Legislators created the first food safety laws with the big industrial plants in mind and never considered artisanal production. But recently, starting seven or eight years ago, Consumers start seeking healthier foods and Brazilian artisanal cheeses have attracted the interest of people in cities again and consumers start appreciating the artisanal products. Producers from traditional cheese regions of Brazil, such as Serro, Serra da Canastra, both in the state of Minas Gerais, colonial cheese in the south of the country or Queijo de Coalho in the northeast states who have always produced it with raw milk so the possibility of their cheese gaining a new audience recently contests began to give visibility to artisanal cheeses such as the Premio queijo brasil a competition promoted by Bruno Cabral while at the while at the same time specialized stores are beginning to appear on the market all over the country we founded the comer queijo Retailers Association, which is responsible for the contest now. Local pro- politicians along producers start to find solutions to allow small producers to use raw milk. The problem was that each municipi- municipality and state was coming up with different solutions. The Federal Ministry of Agriculture saw an opportunity to find a national solution. They proposed and adopted the CELUART law. This is a federal legislation that allows small producers to register their products for sale all over the country and enter it in a national registry of approved producers. They can produce using traditional methods, but they are required to be inspected by local authorities before being registered. The problem is that the law was created at the federal level and local authorities have not made made the necessary changes. This means that there is a low number of registration, unfortunately. The municipal authorities are not prepared to inspect producers yet. In a continental-sized country like ours, it's estimated that 98% of municipalities produce milk, of course, cheeses, because there is no better way to add value to milk than making cheese. I believe the undoing legislation, not, is the key to promoting a real revolution in the generation of employment and income throughout the chain, from the small producers to the shopkeepers, going through logistics, restaurants, technicians, rural tourists, among others, especially those related to the traditional way of making cheese with raw milk.
4: That's wonderful. I agree with you. I think artisanal productions and raw milk cheese is the future and is a good generator of
3: jobs. Thank you, Falco. Obrigado. Uh, thank you, Carlos, for the opportunity to talk about cheeses that we love it so much. Thank you, Carlos.
4: Bye.
1: Bye. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté Cheese Association represents the Comté PDO, Comté Protected Designation of Origin, in the USA. Comté is a raw milk cooked, pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers, This milk must be transformed into Comté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Comté. Comté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Comté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Comté is the same. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen USA dot com. Welcome back to Curning the
4: Curd. I am Carlos Descas, and today we're checking in with raw milk cheese advocates from around the world. Perhaps the most famous raw milk cheese advocate in the world is Will Studd. In 2002, he challenged the Australian Food Regulatory by importing 80 kilos of rockefort into australia the there authorities there denied him the permit to sell the cheese on the basis that raw milk cheese was not legal in the country the cheese was ultimately destroyed in a televised funeral were watching online but the regulation was amended to allow the importation of rockefort and to allow the production and sale of some hard-cooked cheeses made from raw milk however the battle didn't end then And today we have Will to update us on what's going on in the case in Australia. Welcome, Will, and thank you for joining me.
6: Thanks for having me.
4: Will, could you give us a brief update of what was the situation in Australia before the latest court decision?
6: Well, uh, around the same time as the Rockfall application, I made applications for a special exemption for English farmhouse cheddar made by Keynes and Montgomery. Um, That's made from raw milk. And I also made an uh, an application for a special exemption uh, uh, for EU raw milk cheeses, uh, requesting that Australia recognise the EU uh, system of manufacturing as equivalent or producing equivalent outcomes to those we would expect here. And that was in 2004. Subsequent to that, the authorities uh, asked me to... Wait whilst they reviewed how they would uh, allow the production of raw milk cheese in Australia. That took them until 2016. So I waited 12 years whilst these applications were put off, put off, put off. And when they announced the new regulations in Australia, they were, first of all, they were very, very strict. Effectively, they classified all hard-cooked raw milk cheeses like Gruyere and Parmigiano-Reggiano as pasteurised or equivalent to pasteurised, so they didn't need to come under any special regulations when it came to the production of raw milk cheese. And they then removed all other exemptions from the Code. In future, there were no exemptions in the Code. And when they removed those exemptions, they also removed... Uh, the applications they said well the, you can't apply for an exemption anymore because we don't have any will and uh when they told me that i said well let's that's, that's that's you can't change the goalposts The the law in 2004 was that we were allowed to have special exemptions you should look at these because under the new standards that you've declared we are not allowed to uh sell uh, raw milk cheddar uh we're not allowed to uh uh uh, recogn- we don't recognise EU standards on raw milk cheese, so these applications stand. So what went on for the next two years was a lot of to and froing on emails about whether they should or shouldn't look at the uh, applications. Finally, about uh, 18 months ago, they declared that they wouldn't look at them, and so I took the matter to a court of appeal, and uh, last month the Australian authorities and, uh, gave out a 109-page report about why those special exemptions um, had no chance of success under the current standards, raising all sorts of questions about the future of 4, which is still allowed for sale in Australia under a special exemption granted in 2007.
4: Right. So these are really sad news. Um, And just for our listeners to understand what is happening here, Australia has been, as I understand it, sort of, like you said, moving this goalpost, uh, right? Trying to um, effectively ban all sale, but also a lot of the production or any of the production of raw milk cheeses in Australia. Do you have a sense of what is um, sort of behind this uh, idea from the regulator in Australia of why they want to limit uh, the sale and production of raw milk cheeses?
6: I think... it's <laughs> Sadly, I think it's because they don't really understand the benefits of, that raw milk cheese uh, has for, for farming. It's, it's pretty sad. In Australia, two-thirds of all family dairy farms have disappeared in the last 20 years. Over here, milk is cheaper than water. That's not a sustainable future for, for family dairy farms. And, of course, that means all sorts of implications for the environment and for animal welfare and for, for, for cheese. And, and I think... Uh, most of this is, is about trying to ban imports because they're scared. They they don't they see raw milk cheeses as dangerous. It doesn't matter how much we try and prove that they're not. They hide behind the science, but this sort of scientific argument that raw milk cheese is dangerous, therefore we will not allow it. And it's largely because Australia, as a country, has a very recent uh, history when it comes to dairy farming. It's only post war that Australia started making post-Second World War that Australia started making any form of artisan or specialty cheese. Prior to that it was all commodity and after the Second World War they designed the dairy industry to be based on Denmark and I I think that pretty much that that attitude remains today. The authorities see raw milk cheese as dangerous. There have been some small gains. I mean we are allowed now to make hard-cooked Raw milk cheeses, although, as I say, they've been reclassified. And there's a couple of uh, people producing sheep milk semi hard cheese, but that's a real battle that they've gone through to to be able to do that. And and they're tested within an inch of their life. It's like, you know, it's a lot of uh, aggressive intimidation and and, uh, don't rock the boat attitude towards Australian cheesemakers. And really, believe it or not, my campaign has been about I, I want to taste Australian cheese, So you know, cheese, Australian cheese made from raw milk that is uh, comparable or maybe even better than those made overseas. And we're not allowed to do that. We're not even allowed to try those made overseas.
4: Right. No, that's really what I ho- always understood uh, from your fight is not only that there's the uh, desire to bring, you know, wonderful traditional rondo cheeses from uh, Europe and other parts of the world into Australia, but that these will also unlock some of the potential that dairy production has in Australia. Can I ask you, what is... The understanding of your partners around the world, um, you know, pr- for example, pro- producers in England and exporters of British cheeses um, of sort of this limiting of the market uh, on, on something that they're actually very proud of. And, you know, producers that work really hard into, you know, the food safety of their cheeses being told by a regulator somewhere else that, you know, you can your cheese is just not safe for our population.
6: Uh, they're pretty patient. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, two years ago, the British made a, a special application. So under the new system that they've announced in Australia, if you want to uh, sell in imported raw milk cheese, you have to apply to our Department of Agriculture and Water Resources and they then look at how those cheeses are made to make a decision about whether they will be allowed. To date, they haven't looked at... Uh, well, they might have looked quite a lot, but they haven't announced that any of them fit the bill. So when uh, Britain, uh, Niels Yard Dairy in Britain, uh, with the DEFRA, uh, applied for, I think it's 12 English cheeses to be allowed to be... Um, raw milk cheeses to be sold in Australia, that application was made almost two years ago And to date, we have seen no answer from the Department of Agriculture here on whether they will be allowed for sale and whether they meet equivalent standards. And that's the the challenge for the authorities here is if they sign off on those British cheeses, it in theory opens the door for local producers to be able to make similar cheeses here. And um, that creates all sorts of issues with the food standards. So I think what will happen, if, I'm, if I can predict the future, it'll be all about the, the politics of uh, free trade agreements.
4: Right. And especially now that, you know, the, the UK government needs to advocate for new trade agreement um, because of Brexit in, in a different set of norms that the European uh, Union will do. How does this affect American cheeses going into Australia? Uh, is it the same? Um, it, it, are, are, is, is raw milk cheese from the United States not, not allowed to enter uh, Australia?
6: It's funny you should say that. I was thinking about that this morning. Um, I would love to be able to put, import um, Rogue River uh, Creamery Special Reserve Blue um, because I was associated with that when it first went into UK, uh, about a, just over a decade ago, and that was that was a, an epic fight because it was the first time an American raw milk cheese had been exported to Europe in something like a hundred years, um, and I'd love to do a similar challenge here because, in theory, Australia has a free trade agreement with the US, uh, but I don't uh, I don't see the authorities on either side of the ditch um, coming up with a with a, accepting that if I wanted to sell that cheese over here, I'm sure we'd be, we'd have another funeral. But uh, David Gremmels, if you're listening, I'm up for the fight. Anytime you like, I'll take it on.
4: <sighs> right. No, I, and especially now that, you know, Rogue River Blue, uh, one best in show that World Cheese Awards. You know, it has become really a renowned cheese. Uh, and you know, of course, here as um, cheese advocates and raw milk cheese advocates, we're saddened that you know not everyone can taste this cheese. And and especially the Australians that you know we share so much of a common culture and heritage of food. Um, so it's really it really is uh, sad that it cannot get there. Um, to end, uh you already gave us a little bit of a, your um, idea of what is the future. But do you think um, is it a change of government? Is it a change of attitudes in, in the governments of around the world? Is it demand from the from the consumers that would change the stand of Australia? Or do you think well, cheese is just not an option uh, for the next, you know, foreseeable future uh, in in your country?
6: Uh, but look, I think what will happen, Australia is negotiating with Britain on a free trade agreement. It's negotiating with Europe on a free trade agreement. There's a lot of discussion on GIs, you know, ge- geographical names. Um, and I think they'll reach agreement on that. And I think as part of those discussions, it's likely Australia will uh, recognise equivalence, certainly with Britain, because Australia stands to gain a lot from any free trade agreement in terms of agriculture. Um, and quite possibly with the Europeans to uh, recognize equivalent standards so i 'm hopeful that, that that will happen um, the, the one of the biggest risks for for raw milk cheese in the future though is the the growing understanding of cultures uh, in theory it's it 's great um, because as, as you know we 've got more and more access to interesting um, cultures when it comes to making cheese but the risk is is that we we, we end up just um, dialing up flavours using those cultures rather than allowing uh, nature to do its thing naturally. So uh, the, the, the risk is, is that we, we have these dial-up culture in, in the future and we, don't, we no longer taste real cheese. A, a good example would be uh, how uh, hafnia Alvi is, is used uh, for um, producing flavour in a lot of Camembert-style cheeses these days.
4: Right. And this is definitely, uh, you know, a part of a conversation that I think is often missed in the talk about raw milk cheese, um, that there's a lot of development in microbiology of trying to come up with flavor profiles that may uh, replicate some of the flavors that are originally in in raw milk, and some cheesemakers are using them increasingly to produce their cheeses, and so it would seem uh, from the point of view of some of the big uh, producers of cheese that it really is not necessary to be using uh, raw milk, and especially if it's seen as something that the regulators don't want to ever approve so I totally agree with you.
6: Yeah, and I think, that, I think there's a real risk of that happening in Europe too. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the next decade uh, a wonderful cheese like Roquefort, they end up producing two versions, a pasteurized version for export and a raw milk version for, for domestic use. And by using these microbiological starters, etc., they argue that they taste the same.
4: Yes, I I agree with you. I think this is a conversation that uh, French advocates of raw milk cheeses are having and really worry about. And especially in in France, as you know, and the listeners will know, you know, the conglomeration of, uh, uh, of PDO cheeses under the umbrella of big conglomerates is really worrying for the small producers and advocates of raw milk cheese. Um, but there are, seem to be the ones that are able to export everywhere, and it seems to be that is always, um, you know, Jesus. I, I guess the last thing um, that is always in my mind: How do you think these decisions in Australia affect the situation in the United States or uh, England, and vice versa? How do the decisions that are taken by the FDA and the CDC in the United States end up affecting? Um, you know food regulation in Australia and, and does this have to do anything with you know, sort of the oversellousness uh, of regulating raw milk cheeses?
6: Um, well, I, I could, obviously when, when Australia uh, bans uh, cheese because it doesn't meet equivalent production standards to domestic production, it sets a precedent. Uh, under the Uruguay, round of free trade back in the 90s, uh, the WTO said that um, equivalent standards should be recognised by every country. So you couldn't block a cheese on the basis that it wasn't equivalent. But the definition of equivalence was never made. So uh, this has really all been about the word equivalent um, and, and what it means. So the precedent that Australia sets by banning a cheese like Roquefort I don't think, to be honest, the French are too worried about Australia banning Rockfall because it's a tiny market, you know, we're only 25 million, 26 million people, and it's a tiny market, we're a long way away. But the precedent that it set um, sent uh, a lot of concern back to the French about whether it would block the US market, which is far bigger for Rockfall. So that precedent um, applied, and when Rockfall was uh, finally allowed under the special exemption, the Australian government produced a 180-page report uh, about why Rockford was safe for Australians to eat. Now, however ridiculous that sounds, that also set a precedent because there was a government report that had gone into great detail, uh, millions of bucks spent on on producing it, uh, explaining why a raw milk cheese was safe. And and that that set a precedent too, because it meant that if the US wanted to close down the production or or ban uh, the import of raw milk cheeses, it would be very hard because here's a report saying that it's safe from from somewhere like Australia. So precedent, I think, is the answer is that um, the Australian position sets a precedent for other countries to uh, adopt if they so choose.
4: You're right, and I always think of this. You and I had had part of this conversation in, in many times, and I always know that uh, it is this present that you talk about that is so important, and that I have seen in the work that we do at the Cheese Coalition um, that uh, sometimes decisions by Health Canada and the FDA in the United States, who regulate the raw milk cheese uh, sale uh, in 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 those countries. Um, sort of site, part of the reasoning that Australia developed. And so I think it's really interesting how it goes both ways that this present actually is used to limit some things and also can be used for advocates uh, to, al- to, to, uh, to allow for other cheeses to come in. Um, well, Will, that was wonderful. I think our listeners got a lot of information. Um, listeners, Will Studd is a hero of mine. He is uh, in the chair, uh, he's in the advisory committee of the old West Cheese Coalition, we're always very proud to have him. Uh, you should follow him and try some of your cheeses. Um, well, what are you eating right now that our listeners should be tasting?
6: Um, I'm enjoying, well, we, we're just heading into spring over here in Australia, so it's time to break out the halloumi. Um, you know halloumi is one of those cheeses there's there's lots and lots of industrial halloumi out there but if you can find a handmade halloumi um, that's something really really special so um, and a way to welcome spring it was a spring equinox actually last night so we broke out the halloumi roasted it over some uh, charcoal and and, and, uh, celebrated the coming of spring
4: that sounds wonderful. Well, here in the colder uh, climates of, of the northern hemisphere, I think people are starting to think about Gruyere yeah. and uh, you know all those alpine cheeses made with raw milk. Um, thank you, Will, for for this interview, and uh, thank you for your advocacy.
6: Well, thank you for making it so easy, Carlos, because it's such a complicated subject. So you really helped helped explain it well. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Okay, listeners, we just heard from raw milk cheese advocates from around the world. As we get to the end of the episode today, I would like to leave you with this question. What can we learn from their work to better advocate for raw milk cheese here in North America? I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is that these conversations are happening all over the world. We tend to think that we are fighting alone, but I have found that we can learn a lot from advocates in other countries, and that incorporating and acknowledging their contributions, we make our movement stronger. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this sh- week's show, and encourage you to look f- at the work we are doing at the Old West Cheese Coalition, and to join us in celebration on October 17. Remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cutting the Curd, or shoot us an email at Cutting the at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's episode was possible because of the support of our team of producers at the Heritage Radio Network. Thank you, Matt, Amanda, and Jess. Thank you for listening, everyone. We will be back next week with more Cutting the Curd.
3: Cutting
1: the Curd is powered by Simplecast.